Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time each week to dedicate, to praise your name, to declare the works that you have done, are doing, and will do. Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in this room, and I pray for the gift of preaching that you enable me to faithfully share the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank our reader uh, for this morning. Thank you so much. You may be seated. When I was 17 years old, I emailed the elders at this church and asked them if I could preach one Sunday morning. And only God knows why they said yes. And now 13 years later, it is such a gift to return to a church home and family with a church that <clears throat> enabled me to explore the opportunity to preach. And who knows, one day when you turn 17 years old, you may ask the same thing. We'll see. It is an amazing gift to be back here at Round Rock Church of Christ. Years ago, Christopher Hitchens and William Lane Craig had a debate about God's existence. William Lane Craig is a Christian apologist, and Hitchens was a famous atheist and journalist from England. And Hitchens got the chance to cross-examine his debating partner, and this is what he said. He said, there are lots of stories of resurrection in the Bible. People die and come back to life again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So why should I put my trust in Jesus? What's so special about him and his resurrection? And that's the question that I would like to answer this morning, because you may actually wonder the same thing. Why should I, 2,000 years after the fact, put my trust in this rabbi from Nazareth, even if he did rise from the dead? Even if he did, what would that event have to do with us today? Here's how I want to address that question. I am going to compare two stories of resurrection from the same gospel, the gospel of John. And we will look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and the death and resurrection of his friend Lazarus. These are uh, two stories of resurrection among many in the Gospels. There's not just two. But what's important about these two is they, that they're told in the same Gospel, and they both include a tomb. Both men are properly buried, okay? And when we see the comparison and description of these two events, these two men are buried in very similar ways. But the author of this story goes out of his way to show you how different the resurrections of these two men 
are. He gives us details that with careful attention show us the difference. Why Jesus's resurrection is unique, why it is greater than the resurrection of Lazarus, and why you should put your trust in Christ. Now, I know we just read it, but here are the seven kind of basic facts of the burial and resurrection of Lazarus. Fact number one, there is a tomb with a stone rolled across the entrance. And the reason why they did this was to keep the smell in and the grave robbers out. Second, Jesus gives the order to take away the stone. Presumably, he gave this order to some of his apostles. So you could imagine Peter or James or John coming over and rolling away the stone in front of the tomb. Fact number three is that Christ prays to his heavenly father and then says out loud, Lazarus, come out. There's no magical incantation or anything like that, nothing flashy, just the word of Jesus Christ. And one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture, the dead man came out. Dead men aren't supposed to do that. Dead men are supposed to stay put, but after the word of Jesus, anything can happen. And so Lazarus is told to come out and he obeys. Now, fact number five, this is really important, okay? Lazarus's hands and feet are wrapped in strips of linen. Jews would wrap the torso of the, of the corpse down to the feet in something called an othonion, okay? That's a Greek word I'm pretending to be able to pronounce that just covers all the way from the neck down to the toes, okay? But fact number six, there is a separate cloth that's wrapped around Lazarus's head. You, you might call this the burial shroud, okay? John goes out of his way to talk about the othonion and the sudarion, the burial shroud and the grave cloths around his body. And seventh and finally, this is so important, Jesus commands those who are standing by to take off the grave clothes. It seems that Lazarus comes out of the tomb and he either does not or cannot take these grave clothes off himself, okay? I want you to keep all of this information in mind as we compare it to the burial of Jesus. Okay, so we're fast forwarding to John chapter 19 from John chapter 11. Jesus has already been crucified. He's already been killed. And the same author of both of these stories is now describing the burial process for Jesus. And this is what he says. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there, okay? If you aren't familiar with some of these customs, that's okay. Myrrh and aloes were kind of a, a mixture designed to anoint the body. And just like with Lazarus, they are concerned about 
the smell of this corpse. And so as an act of kindness, they cover his body with strips of linen soaked in these myrrh and aloes to be a sweet smell, okay, that covers his body. Now, it, it, we're emphasized again and again, th these are the Jewish burial customs. There's no funny business. There's nothing out of the ordinary. Jesus has the same bodily wrapping and the same kind of burial shroud around his face. He was probably put in a tomb that was probably cut out of a cave, just like his friend. We know that they put him in this tomb on Friday afternoon. They all went home for Sabbath. They rested from their labors all Saturday. And then this happens early Sunday morning. Look at these details, okay? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple start for the tomb. Both are running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love imagining Peter putting on a little bit of weight while he was following Jesus. John, you go on ahead, man. I'll get there eventually, okay? And then this happens when the beloved disciple arrives at the tomb. He comes to the tomb and has to bend down because these tombs were cut into these caves, not the full stature of a man, but low to the ground, and he looks inside the tomb. And what does he see but the strips of linen that cover Jesus' body from his neck all the way down to his toes? But this beloved disciple does not go into the tomb. Simon Peter, on the other hand, as you'd expect from his character, he just barges right in, okay? He goes straight into the tomb, and he sees more than the beloved disciple. He barges in, he looks inside, he sees the strips of linen lying where Jesus had been placed, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And John is going out of his way to tell us all these details about the burial clothes for a reason. He says the cloth, the burial shroud, was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, this next slide is so crucial. I put stuff in bold and underlined just so you would see how important these four words are. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also goes inside. He saw and believed. We're all going to say that together just for emphasis, okay? We're going to count down three, two, one, and we're going to all say it together, okay? Three, two, one. He saw and believed. My question to you is, what did he see and what did he believe? I think the only way to answer that question, to address those four words, is to look at this picture, okay? I love this depiction of the resurrection of Lazarus, okay? First of all, you've got the guy plugging his nose because he's worried about the smell, okay? Then I love this. This must be Mary or Martha, and I love that she's looking away. Just imagine her reaction when she turns around to see her brother alive again. Now look at Lazarus. I don't know if you've ever imagined this, but what would it have looked like for him to come out, and then Jesus says to those standing by, take off his grave clothes? Well, guess what? He waddled. 
You know, you believe me, he waddled out of that tomb because he can't take the grave clothes off himself. Jesus has to tell other people to take those off for him, which means Lazarus rose from the dead with the grave clothes on. Okay, the emphasis in these two stories is that these two men are buried in the same way, but they are not resurrected in the same way. When Jesus rose, he left his grave clothes behind. Now, if you can't picture this in your head, I'm going to give you four options for what could have happened when they walked into the tomb. Okay, in the top left, you've got if Jesus was not raised, if he was dead, still covered in all of his grave clothes. Okay, they would have walked in, they would have seen everything. No story here, okay? If Christ rose like Lazarus and he was somehow able to shimmy off these grave clothes, guess what? They would have been lying on the ground like every good teenager places their clothes, okay? Now, if you look in the bottom left, this is what Mary Magdalene was worried about, right? Grave robbers would not have grabbed the body and gingerly taken off the grave clothes and left them behind. They would have just grabbed the body and run. They had to get out of there fast. But what did John see? He saw Jesus grave clothes left behind. You could almost imagine this wrap around his body just deflates and collapses in its place. This is what John saw, and this is what he believed. He sees the linen cloths, and he says, Jesus is alive. He's back. Now, he doesn't understand from Scripture that this is how it had to happen, and he doesn't understand that this is a prophecy that's fulfilled, but he sees that, the linen cloths, and he believes. He's raised from the dead. Now, how can Jesus actually do this? How can he be raised from the dead and leave the grave clothes behind? What does that even mean? Well, if you look in the rest of the Gospels, including this one, you can see Jesus do very strange things in this risen body. Look at this. This is from the same chapter in the Gospel of John. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus doesn't politely knock on the door and then they open it. He doesn't kick it down and say, I'm raised from the dead. He doesn't do any of that. He just appears exactly where he wants to be, even though the the doors are locked. This is Matthew's version of the resurrection. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Just look at this, okay? After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There's a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Let's say these four words together. He is not here. Have you ever noticed that? Did Jesus leave the tomb before the stone was even rolled away? Think about the angelic message every single time. Why do you look for the living one among the dead? He's not here. You can't find him in the tomb, even though you look. This is one of my favorite stories from the Gospels. This is from the Gospel of Luke. 
It gives us another example of the, the things that Jesus can do now that he's raised from the dead. This is the story of the two disciples who are walking back to their village of Emmaus, and they are discussing what has been going on in Jerusalem over the weekend, and Jesus shows up. He starts walking alongside them, and he strikes up a conversation. And I love this so much. Jesus asks them, uh, he asks them this question. He says, uh, what are you talking about? And these two disciples who don't know it's Jesus say to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? I love it. They're like, have you been living under a rock or something? And Jesus is like, well, technically, yes. Where have you been? You don't know what's going on, do you? And Jesus starts talking with them and they start feeling this burning sensation in their heart. And I love this so much. They invite him in for dinner. He takes bread. He gives thanks. He broke it. He, be he begins to give it to them, and their eyes are open. They finally recognize him. And as soon as they see him, what happens? He disappears from their sight. We have multiple gospels telling us that this man's body is different. It's raised from the dead, but it doesn't have the limitations that we have. He can be wherever he wants to be. Locked doors don't stand a chance. Sealed tombs can't hold him back. Grave clothes can't stay wrapped on him. Even his friends see him vanish before their very eyes. This is way different than the other stories of resurrection in the Bible. And there are at least three reasons I want you to believe why this matters. This is not just an interesting detail or, oh, what fascinating information from the Gospels that I didn't know before. No, no, no. This matters for our faith. And the first thing, the first thing to walk away with is that Christ's resurrection is greater than every other story of resuscitation in the Bible. Think about it. When other people are raised from the dead, they live, they die, God brings them back to life, and then what happens after that? They die again. I don't think Lazarus is like roaming planet Earth right now. Okay, he died again. But what happened with Jesus? He lived. He died. He rose again, and he never died again. He ascended into heaven, and he is alive right now. He defeated death. That's what happened in his resurrection, and it's why Christopher Hitchens, when he's debating William Lane Craig, it's so sad, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. The one thing that Christopher Hitchens hated most is the one thing he didn't understand, which is Christianity. Our faith is not built on a bunch of stories of resuscitation. It is built on one resurrection. This is the second reason why this story is so important. The story of Christ's resurrection is not metaphorical. It's historical. And here's what I mean. If someone tells you that Easter Sunday is all about love conquering hate, but they believe that Jesus is still dead, that is a bunch of nonsense. I'm sorry. Just... If Jesus is really dead, if we could go find his bones somewhere, Christianity is not true. 
It's not true because all of our faith is built on a historical resurrection. It's as historical as World War II or World War I or the War of 1812. You pick. It's just as historical. It happened about 2,000 years ago just outside of Jerusalem city walls. You can go to Jerusalem today and see where his tomb is. This man had a mom who gave birth to him, and he was really crucified, and he really died, and he really rose from the dead. And if anybody says otherwise, they don't understand Christianity anymore. The third reason why this matters is because it, it informs our hope about the future, okay? For the past 2,000 years, Christians have believed in the resurrection of the body, Okay, we believe that when Jesus comes back, he is going to raise us from the dead. So it's very important to talk about the way that this informs our hope. Like, I hope that when I die because of God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that I'm going to go to heaven. That's where I want to go. But that is not God's ultimate plan for each and every one of us. He wants us not to be disembodied, but to be given new bodies. And we know this because Jesus promised it. In this same gospel, he says, don't be astonished at this. The hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, that is the voice of Jesus, and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, this is a difficult word to hear because basically what Jesus is saying is you will be raised from the dead whether you like it or not. I'm going to raise all the dead, no exceptions. The only question is what kind of resurrection you will experience. Now, Jesus doesn't want to condemn anybody. One of the most famous verses in the Bible reveals this to us. This is John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This verse is so key. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is why you should put your trust in him. He's been dead before. He defeated death in his resurrection, and he promises to every person in this room, if you are dead when he comes back, you are going to be restored to life. Now, I love this last, there is this verse in our reading today that just, it it boggles the mind to think about how crucial this is. When Jesus prays to his heavenly father, right before he raises Lazarus from the dead, this is what he said. I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may, say it with me, believe. Okay, 2,000 years later, we are overhearing that prayer. Jesus prayed that prayer so that anybody who heard it would believe that God sent him. So if you listen to John chapter 11, you have overheard the one who rose Lazarus from the dead. You have heard the voice of the one who predicted his own death and resurrection. You have heard the voice of a man who died just as he predicted and then promises all of the dead that they will be raised to. He said this for your benefit and for mine. 
one day he will call us by name out of our graves. Can you believe that? He's going to say, Mitch, come out. And I'm going to be raised from the dead. He's going to say, Chris, come out. And Chris is going to be raised from the dead. He's going to say, Georgine, come out. And she will be raised from the dead. That is the gospel. It's the promise he's made to every single one of us. And he can promise it because he's already done it. So don't put faith in anybody else. Put your faith in the one who left his grave clothes behind. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus, even in his own person, is the power of resurrection. He did it for Lazarus. He predicted it for himself, and he promises it to each and every person who has ever lived, is living, or will live. Lord, we pray for trust in him. We want to put all, all of our faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who is struggling in their faith in Jesus, I pray that you would turn their attention to this story. That he really left his grave clothes behind. Death has no hold on him. He defeated death by his death. We're in awe of you today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.